Welcome to Talking Kotlin. On this episode, I'm sitting down with three folks from Amazon discussing some things that they've been working on and their use of Kotlin. Hi, folks, and welcome to the show. And I'll allow you each to kind of introduce yourselves. Cool. Thank you. Hi, and thanks for having us. Uh, my name is Mark. I'm a principal engineer at AWS. I've been with Amazon for around 10 years, and I'm currently working on the, Ant- the Amazon Quantum Ledge database, or QLDB for short. And I'm Andrew Certain. I'm a distinguished engineer at Amazon. I've been with the company for about 20 years, been in web services for about the past 12, and um, I'm also working on QLDB with Mark. All right. Hi, everybody. I'm uh, Al V. I'm also an engineer at Amazon. I have been at the company almost as long as Andrew, also 20 years. Uh, I've done a wide variety of things, but primarily I've, I've focused on Amazon Web Services, and I've been involved with that since the very beginning in uh, 2004. For the last uh, year, year and a half, we've been working on QLDB, uh, and I've been working on ideas that have led to QLDB for the last maybe four or five years. That is a long time to be at, 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 at the company. Like, how, how old is Amazon? It's, it's about 20, 25 or something like that, no? Yeah, it started in 1995, um, and I joined in 98, which it seemed, you know, it was a big public company when I joined, but little did I know um, how small it was in <laughs> retrospect. Yeah, you were still selling books back then. Just books, right? Yeah, we are we are a U.S. only bookseller. We launched the German and U.K. website about uh, six months after I joined. Yeah, yeah, I remember because back then, uh, I, I mean, I I, li- I live in Spain and I've been here for many years. Uh, and when Amazon first launched in the U.K., it was so exciting that I could actually get English books shipped to me from the U.K. It was like, <laughs> it was a game changer for me, you know. That's <laughs> great. Yeah. Cool. So you're all working on QLDB, right? And yeah, that's right. Can you can one of you tell me briefly, like, what is this about exactly? Yeah, sure. So one of our mantras in AWS is developer choice, and so we believe in giving developers a lot of choices to use the right tool for the job. And so the question is, what is the the job that QLDB has been written for. And our tagline is the complete and verifiable history of all changes to your data. So um, we allow you to look at every single mutation that's uh, been done in your database. And then we use cryptographic caching techniques so that you can show that that has not been altered over time. Really, the one of the use cases we have in mind is places where you have things like audit tables. So you have a database, which is the um, system of record for some changes. And you want to make sure that you record like who made all those changes and what were the changes and when did they happen. And um, if you've ever done one of these in a standard relational database, um, often the audit tables start to become the tail that's wagging the dog. So they become much bigger than the the online data, um, you have to, the developers all have to remember when they make a change to uh, make a change that, um, you know, to record that information in the audit tables. And so QLDB takes care of all that. So you run regular SQL and um, issue SQL commands against your database, and we record all the changes that have happened and then make those available to you externally. So is this similar to the idea of event sourcing? So I think um, 
They have a lot of uh, ideas in common. Um, we certainly want people to be u- uh, to use Kill to be as um, a source of events. So you write your changes to the, your database, and um, we can stream them out to you. The the one thing that I think Kill to be does slightly different from event sourcing uh, is that in event sourcing, it's hard to make uh, transactional changes. So um, you you typically need a database. Um, you typically need a database that uh, is the system of record ahead of time, and so people will, you know, they'll use um, a relational database or um, some other database to capture the transactional, you know, records. If I'm transferring $100 to you and $100 to Mark, and I only have $150 in my account, you know, something has to make sure that only one of those transactions wins. And so I think QLDB can be a great ingestion um, mechanism for those places where you really need transactional consistency in an event sourcing model. Okay. But as a as a developer, when I am interacting with QLDB, how, how do I do it? Like, do I, if, if I have, for example, a trans, an actual transfer. I mean, let's stick to the concept of a of a, yeah. a bank transfer. How would I interact sure. with the database? How would I store the information? Would I would I store it as a series of events, or would I just how would it how would it work? So the the interface to QLDB is a SQL session. So you connect to your ledger and you execute SQL. So in some sense, then you can do whatever you want, right? But yeah. um, I think the way most people would do it would you know, they'd, they'd run a SQL state, uh, statement that selects your balance, they'd check to see if you had enough money in your account, then they would um, construct a SQL statement that uh, updates your balance and the other balance, and then they would try to commit that transaction. And if, you know, no other transaction is interfered with those reads and writes, then your transaction commits, and then it comes out the other side as a, here's what happened. And would I have a bank transfer table in in this database where I would basically insert the transaction taking place or am I actually doing a series of events that says money comes out of this account money goes out into that account and there is no transaction entry per se do you see what I'm saying yeah so I mean again like it's sort of early days where you know we're interested to see how different people use this um, because it is a um, you know, it is a SQL database, so you can set up your tables and your documents however you want. I, okay. I will mention that it is it is document based, so it's not just strict tuples. Um, um, I don't think we'll have a, a lot of time to get into particle and um, the extensions to SQL for nested data structures. But um, but I you know I think for most people they would treat it like they would a regular database and um, you know have say a document row that would reflect your balance and another person's balance. And so in the, in the transaction log or the event log, you would see, hey, we updated this person's account to this amount and this person's account to this amount. So those would be you know, events in some sense, but they would be bundled together in a transaction. So you could say, you could see, okay, this was a, you know, this is a transaction. This happened atomically. Here's the SQL that was executed, um, and so on. Okay. Does that make sense? Yep, yep. So one of the things, of course, you initially said was the right tool for the right job, 
yeah, which is which is the yeah. mantra of, of us as software developers, right? <laughs> um, but the question is that you know, like when a new technology and new database comes out, one of the things that we strive as developers is to really not care about this mantra and just say, "Oh my God, the new shiny! I'm going to use it." And if it doesn't work with what I want to do, it doesn't matter. I'm going to shape and mold everything so that it works. So you started by saying, I mean, it's true, right? You know. Um, Sure. Whatever yeah, yeah. database came out, everyone moved to that database. Yeah. So some of the things that you initially said, like, you know, you want to audit trail and stuff like that. There's a lot of software. There's a lot of systems in which this would be good to have. Uh, so the question is, like, is there a clear definition where you would say, OK, for this types of applications or this usages, we would recommend QLDB and for other types, we wouldn't? Yeah, I mean, I think um, so. If you if you look at the portfolio of databases that we have in AWS, um, a lot of them are focused on interesting query semantics. So, um, for example, Neptune, right? It's it's about organizing your data in a graph so that you can do graph queries, right? Um, uh, for Redshift, obviously, it's about you know these big analytic queries. And so QLDB really is about this these system of record applications. So if you if you have a, a data store where the data being stored in the database is the ground truth, so in a bank account, at some level, the truth about the amount of money that I have in my account is stored in the database, as opposed to, say, um, if you have a bunch of sensors and you're feeding that data into a database, uh, in, in that case, you know, the, if, the, if the database uh, disagrees with the sensor, the database is wrong, right? Um, in the bank account example, the database is the source of truth. And so, um, you know, if you have that source of truth application where the database is authoritative and you need to do these transactional updates uh, to make sure that, you know, the, the state space that you're moving through as you um, as you make changes to this database adheres to the constraints that you need and you need those to be right and you want to make sure that you understand what happened over time like that's really the purpose of QLDB as opposed to hey I have these really interesting queries that I want to perform and I, I need these very rich uh, query semantics or uh, you know it's graph structured or um, you know uh, other things like that yeah. And is there anything on the market similar to this that you could kind of like say is a quote unquote competitor? Um, I I mean I don't have any that I you know that I that come to mind right away. Like um, I think you know there's a lot of there's a lot of ideas around like you said around event sourcing and around logs and around. Um, I mean, we could talk about blockchain um, a little bit uh, if you wanted. Obviously, we don't at all have the distributed consensus of blockchain, but obviously, we have the you know the cryptographic um, verification that that blockchain gives. So, you know, I think there's a lot of these ideas are floating around. We've maybe packaged them in a slightly different way. Obviously, we're talking Kotlin here. And, uh, <laughs> you know, otherwise, I, sometimes it, it, it is like I, I should set up a new podcast to discuss anything. Uh, but <laughs> we are talking Kotlin here. So how is this related to Kotlin? 
Yeah, cool. So uh, again, my name is Mark. I'll answer this part. Uh, so all of KLDB is written in Kotlin. Um, uh, Andrew and Earl mentioned a little bit earlier that uh, KLDB is something that we've been kicking around internally for a number of years. But when we when we got around to releasing it as an external product, we did start from scratch. Um, and all of that is written in Kotlin. So what was it you, you, like? You were pl you had a version, and then when you decided to go public, you you rewrote it from scratch. Right. So um, the the internal product was really built to solve some of the internal AWS use cases, and um, it it was designed for you know an Amazon audience, right? Yeah. And and when we came around to trying to see what value we could give customers from our learnings. Um, we just decided that we would package it differently. So you can imagine that the internal product is a little bit more, um, you know, raw to use, and the external product has a lot more polishing. Um, kind of, yeah, polish and, and use of user functionality. What was it written in originally that you said you then converted it to Kotlin and well rewrote it in Kotlin? Yeah, in Java, the the original the original stuff. Okay. And so, and now basically, it's written from the ground up using Kotlin. Yeah, that's right. So, uh, you know, like most software components, it's it's obviously built on top of other components. So, it's not the, it's not uh, the case that a hundred percent of what we deploy to production is Kotlin code. Um, but almost all the functionality that the team works on on a day to day basis is is written in Kotlin. Uh, and co obviously, Kotlin JVM, right? Yeah, that's right. Okay. So why did you choose Kotlin? Well, uh, when we got around to you know repackaging the core ideas into an AWS service, we did start in Java. And um, then pretty much by accident, one of the developers who had some prior experience with Kotlin decided to just you know show the team what it could look like if we converted everything into Kotlin. And um, you know, we looked at what he did, and we were very happy with how concise and expressive the code was. And um, you know, compared to compared to our experience with moving to other languages, this the integration with Java is so seamless in Kotlin. Um, so, for example, we bind to a whole bunch of uh, you know Java frameworks like Netty. Um, we talk to existing services that KLDB is built on top of. Um, uh, and that stuff's written in Java. So the, the migration for us was very painless and we were able to get the incremental benefits of Kotlin while still standing on the shoulders of all the components that we were reusing. But how many, I mean, how many years have you actually been working on this in Kotlin? Uh, yeah, as I'll mentioned, um, I think around two years at this point. I think we're just shy, just shy of the two-year mark. Two um, years. Yeah, and probably the first two months of that was in Java. Okay, so during this one year and eight, uh, ten months, have you gone back and refactored your Kotlin code? Yeah, I think we're always uh, refactoring uh, the code. Yeah, I mean, I ask this because you know a lot of people have this thing that when they start using Kotlin, obviously we we always talk about oh I'm writing uh, Java in Kotlin, and then so have you actually seen this process of? oh, well, the Kotlin that we wrote in the early days is probably not the best thing and we should go back and kind of make it more idiomatic? Yeah, for sure. Um, 
I mean, we we are obviously uh, reading the Kotlin standard library and, and the coroutines implementations as we're learning to understand the language better. And I think even upstream, we're learning, you know, how to use Kotlin and how best to leverage the expressiveness and, you know, when to use extension functions. So I think as we observe um, open source projects, uh, including Kotlin itself, evolve, uh, when it comes to, you know, adding features or or improving performance of our service, we we do take that into consideration. Yeah, you can imagine that if you look at the code, it's it's pretty easy to see what are the you know what is Kotlin the 2018 and what is Kotlin 2019 <laughs> style. Um, but I think the the you know the tools in IntelliJ let you you know work work through that pretty easily. Um, I think I think we've all been very uh, pleasantly surprised how easy it is to maintain the code base. So I have to ask you this because I, I noticed these patterns in different code bases. Are you the folks that say a, a, a type, you know, the class has to have the minimal interface and then anything else I want has to be an extension function? Or do you still model your classes quite heavily with, with members? Yeah, I think that's one of the things that has changed over time. We're we're, we're more towards the, um, you know, kind of small core data class, uh, and then with a bunch of extension functions. I think the Kotlin standard library, like the the collection um, collection interfaces, are a great example there. And in terms of the actual uh, usages of Kotlin, so you mentioned coroutines. Are, are you using? Co I'm assuming you're using coroutines, right? Yeah, uh, that's right. Uh, we were actually a really early adopter of coroutines. I think we picked it up at 0 0.1 or something like that. Um, again, this was kind of uh, early on into the development, and it started out as an experiment, and we quickly saw the value in it. So, um, yeah, we, we've been kind of through the roller coaster of coroutine upgrades, and it's definitely been, been worth it and something that we're very happy to be able to leverage. Has it really been, like, tough? Be honest. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, there's been a, a bunch of uh, you know good changes to coroutines, but but they they've changed you know um, the exception model. Um, when we introduced structured concurrency, a whole bunch of code had to be rewritten. Um, but uh, like like I said, for sure, it's been worth it. Uh, pretty much all of the changes, we've been really pleased with the the reasoning. It's uh, you know the blog post that Roman put out uh, on structured concurrency, for example. Uh, really convinced us that this was the right change to invest in, and just in general, the the quality of the GitHub issues and uh, you know so on and so forth uh, really fill us with a lot of confidence that the team knows what they're doing and that it's worth worth it for us to go through the upgrade pain. What was the move from in, in terms of Java? I mean, were you using something like Rx Java or similar uh, for coroutines? Yeah. Uh, no, we weren't using Rx. Um, I mean, a, a lot of the concurrency stuff is built on top of Netty primitives, um, and and you know we, we were able to adapt uh, Netty into Kotlin coroutines pretty easily. Um, we've been watching the Ktor project since it came out uh, because yeah. it's doing a very similar thing. Yeah, um, I, yeah. I mean, yeah. We built our we built our own stuff on top of Netty just because of the timing of when it happened. Yeah, uh, and Netty is has, is heavily asynchronous, right? I mean, the whole API is asynchronous, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. I I just had a couple things to add about uh, uh, coroutines because you asked us to be honest about what were the pain points. Please do. Um, yeah. So I I think first of all, 
I want to say that the reason I think coroutines works well for us uh, is that it lets you go from the ideas you have in your head about how a system is supposed to behave um, to code that actually models that system in a straightforward way. So I think structured concurrency is a great tool and a great way to think about and write the code for systems that have some concurrency in them. So I, I think the model is super powerful. I like that the uh, the Coroutines project has sort of adopted structured concurrency in a better way, changing the semantics of cancellation, for example, um, to fit that model better and better as time has gone on. Uh, so that that I really like. The thing I think that has been most challenging with coroutines is the lack of support in the tools um, for developing effectively. So, for example, if you if you uh, think about developing single-threaded code, we've been building debuggers for a long time, and people really understand how to look at a stack trace and how to interact with it and how to single-step through code and and do all these things to uh, troubleshoot and and you know take the bugs out of your code. Um, the coroutines world. Uh, is not like that yet. So the 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 support is getting better, but it's still not nearly like what we'd like it to be. So I find what happens is developers spend a lot of time kind of playing human compiler, you know, looking at the code and trying to figure out exactly what it's going to do, um, rather than the equivalent of of looking at a stack trace and figuring out what's happening. So I think that's been our biggest pain point is the uh, is the lack of uh, the lack of tools. I think the model itself is great. If only the the Kotlin folks would know of a company that creates tools that I just <laughs> wish there was someone we could talk to who I know right brains who could help us with this yeah. <laughs> uh, I know I'm I, I don't have to face palm or say I'm sorry uh, I mean we are getting better as you know uh, and I think that part of it is also the the stability of coroutines I mean it was experimental for some time uh, but but we are working there. There's you know it, there is only so much that you can do, and just adding more people doesn't necessarily increase that speed. I mean, in, in itself, Kotlin team is is I think now the largest, the second largest team inside JetBrains. Uh, but we're working on it. Sorry, I mean that's yeah, all I can no, say. No, you do. I mean, you don't you don't need to apologize. I mean, we certainly understand how you know the realities of building software that is going to be deployed or used by, you know, millions of people, um, like it, it does present us challenges, but, um, so we're super excited about it, but yes, uh, that has been one of the main points for sure. Which is good also, right? I want to add a little bit here too, that we're, I'm not I, like, I, I don't think that the way JetBrains is going to fix this is by putting together a project and saying, go and build great tools. I think part of the issue is that we don't know what those tools should look like at this point, because this idea of working with structured concurrency, especially if you have massive concurrency, so I have, you know, 500,000 coroutines running, um, is something I, I don't think we know what the tools should look like. So for example, uh, having a, a stack dump that's, you know, 500,000 coroutines long and showing a stack trace for each of those is not going to be particularly helpful when I want to solve my problem. Um, so what tools do I want? Honestly, I don't know. Uh, it's a, a kind of an open question. So I'm not, I'm not just trying to blame you guys, although I appreciate the apology. Um, I'm also suggesting this is a, a legitimately challenging part of this model that we just haven't figured out yet. And that's a very valid point. And that, that is where we go back to, you know, we rely on user experience and the, and the challenges that you face and yourselves and others raising those challenges with us so that we can try and address them in some way. So, sorry, Andrew, you were going to say something. No, no, I got it. 
Okay. Now, in addition to co-routines, you brought up the sequel as well. And one of the things that you said, like you when deciding to adopt Kotlin, you liked the conciseness of the code and the, the expressiveness of it. Do you provide any kind of API for developers to actually work with QLDB? Yeah, uh, we we have an AWS uh, HTTP API for QLDB, and um, that's part of our SDK process, uh, which is available in a number of languages. And then on top of that um, kind of API binding layer, we build a QLDB driver, and um, and there's a Java one. Um, does that answer the question? Yeah. So, I mean, in addition to the HTTP API, so you do, you actually have uh, the Java API and and I assume a Kotlin API, right? So, or not? Uh, we, we don't we don't currently have a uh, you know native Kotlin uh, API, but uh, you know talking to the to the Java driver from Kotlin is a pretty pleasant experience, just given how good the interop is. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I guess I should have prefixed this uh, with a with a kind of slightly different question: Is how exactly do you offer this right now to developers? Is it only as a service, or can it be self hosted? Is is it embeddable? How how does it work? It, yeah, currently we only offer it as a service. Um, so the way it works is you go to the AWS console and you click the Create Ledger button. You give it a name, um, and you can give it some tags, and and that's it. So, uh, you know, unlike other databases, there's no you know picking your instance size or uh, you know the number of availability zones you want to run in, or um, you know how many provisioned uh, how much provision capacity it should have. You just give it a name, and we take care of pretty much everything else for you. So it's a it's a service nice. product. That's nice. You don't have to worry about a thing. Someone else is going to worry about it. That's awesome. So, uh, the, the reason I was asking about the API is like, are you making any use of the DSL aspects of Kotlin? You know, the ability to create uh, domain-specific languages with 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 Kotlin itself. The API that we have right now is a is a Java API. It's pretty straightforward. Um, you know, you can use the API to create a new ledger and do things like that. Uh, uh, the the kind of bulk of the work you do using the APIs, you establish a session with QLDB and you issue particle, which is our SQL extension. You issue particle commands and uh, get result sets back, just like a conventional SQL database. Um, so that's it's it's all you know. It's Java. It's very easy to use from Kotlin, as you'd expect. I uh, uh, I will tell you though that um, that a few of us you know because of course we're using Kotlin in our day to day experience and we're writing test uh, programs that use QLDB all the time and and we do fantasize about how awesome it would be to have a uh, really nice Kotlin DSL to interact with QLDB but uh, I'm afraid at the current moment that's that's just something that's a fantasy in our heads and something we play around with there's no kind of uh, customer facing Kotlin DSL like API. Okay, but it is something that you are have been looking at or thinking about, right? Oh no, I didn't say that. I said that we fantasize about it and play with it um, internally. I'm not gonna. I, I'm not foolish enough to uh, claim any kind of 
you know, it's claim that we're going to release anything in particular. No, 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 no. I, I didn't mean that. I mean, like, that, that is something that's crossed your mind. That's, that's what I'm saying. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I mean, because, because again, I, th I think one of the, you know, Kotlin is a super expressive language and there's just, uh, you can't help it as a developer. You, you know, you, you look at these problems in your head and you just imagine the great things that you could do to make it easier for other people to consume your product. Yeah. And in terms of Kotlin outside of the JVM and the multi-platform features, is this something that is, I mean, even necessary for you or something that you've looked at or not? We, we do use uh, the Kotlin multi-platform uh, uh, functionality internally, um, mostly to get some of the, the Kotlin code we have uh, in front of a web UI, um, but, we, but we're not doing anything serious with it at this point. It's definitely something we're keeping an eye on. And what targeting what the, the Kotlin JavaScript, I assume, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, you know, we mentioned earlier that KillDB has the SQL dialect called Particle. Yeah. Particle is an open source uh, project. You can find it at particle.org and it's on GitHub. And um, it's actually written in Kotlin. So if you want, a, if you want an example of some, uh, you know, fairly large, complicated, high-performance code base like that, I think that's a great one to look at. Um, and, you know, it's possible to run a, a little web page that gives you a text box where you can run particle queries and, and you know, it just runs the engine directly there in your web browser. So that's a, a really cool trick. Um, yeah, and I, th I think we, I think we had that, uh, you know, quite a while ago, um, yeah, for sure. The, that, that JavaScript, uh, webpage predates, um, the start of the QLDB project. And in fact, part of the reason why we started experimenting with Colin in QLDB was that the particle evaluation engine was, had already adopted Colin. And so we decided to give it a try. And, um, as I'm sure most people who tried Colin, you know, once you give it a try, you don't go back to Java. Yeah. Well, actually you'll be surprised that there are a few people. I mean, you know, uh, but anyway, I mean, one time someone asked me uh, when I was uh, when I was initially talking about Kotlin before it was well known. I, I did the take some Java code and convert it to to Kotlin within the IDE, uh, and someone from the crowd shouted, "Is there a way to uh, convert it back?" I mean, you know, control Z. Control just, Z. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just make sure you do all your conversion in one day, so you don't break the stack. I mean, I, like, like seriously though, you know, I don't, I don't know of a single developer on the teams that I've worked with at Amazon that have used Colin that would willingly go back to Java. Like it, it just, I, I can't imagine doing it. So, I mean, I'm sure there are people out there, but that has not been my experience. Yeah. To, and to be fair, I think like the, the few people that I've encountered has been more a question of politics, right? Oh, you know, my, my boss or my manager or whoever said that, no, I'm not allowed to use Kotlin anymore and I've got to go back to Java. Um, and, yeah. and, and, okay. Anyway, so whatever. Anyway, cool. <laughs> so one of the things that... Uh, I really appreciated with the Kotlin standard library is the cleaning up of some of the the Java legacies. So, you know, splitting the list and the immutable list interfaces. I think that's a great change. Um, removing the you know the object capability from from APIs like list.contains. Uh, I've I have for sure written that bug a million times where I put the wrong type in and the compilers just uh, 
happily accepted it. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I've really appreciated just the, the way the APIs have been cleaned up and how extension functions allow you to you know skip uh, the abstractions that get created along the way. So a great example there is uh, you, you don't have to type stream in Kotlin code, right? You can just say, you know, list dot and then put whatever um, streaming operator you want on there and, and the extension happens for you. So I, I've really appreciated that. Going back to to Java code when we have to, and you look at all the kind of abstractions you have to jump through, like typing that stream, um, it's definitely definitely a huge improvement. Talking about the API, do you folks use the experimental uh, annotations, which recently have been uh, renamed to opt-in or not at all, really, in your own code bases? Yeah, there are a couple of experimental annotations that we use. I think um, part of the part of the issue for us is, you know, as I mentioned earlier, we were on very early releases of coroutines, so um, we just had a big, wide, you know, allow experimental turned on, and um, as that stabilized, we have been, you know, weaning ourselves off of that. Um, uh, I think right now we have very few experimental flags on. Um, I'm just trying to see if I can find them. In your own code base, when you're designing your your like your the your own SDK, etc., do you use experimental annotations? So for your uh, own no, developers? no, 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 no. The the only way the the only uh, flags we have on right now is just looking is a couple of flags on coroutines. Um, so experimental coroutines API obsolete internal and flow preview. That those are the ones we have turned on right now. Going back a little bit to coroutines, of course, you know that we, you know, Roman has been recently talking about flows. Is this something you're looking at? Or... Yeah, for sure. I think that's one of those um, one of those coroutine features. You know, we we were using channels uh, internally, uh, you know, right from the beginning, and we definitely ran into some oddities with, um, you know, the way we wanted our code to work and the way uh, kind of channels uh, were di directing us to write the code and when Roman started talking about flows, I think that resonated with a lot of people on the team. And you know, as I just mentioned, we have the the flow preview flag turned on. So it's definitely something we're playing around within the code base. I think we've got a couple of um, you know quick wins where some developers have refactored some code to take advantage of flow. And just, the, yeah, the code is shorter, more intuitive. Um, so I think we're pretty happy with that. Yeah, I've definitely written... Um you know, a producer that reads from a channel and, you know, modifies one field and then pushes it to another channel, um, you know, a bunch of times and, you know, being able to write those so that you can do those in a more concise way and you don't have to spin up another coroutine and worry about who the parent is and all that stuff, um, I think it's going to really help. Yeah. Do any of you, I, I, I asked a somewhat related question before in terms of if you were using, but do any of you here have experience with Rx Java? Yeah, I have a little ex experience with it and I have done some adaption between coroutines and Rx Java. Yeah. Because I mean, you know, flow in a sense is, is similar in, in concept to that, right? Um, right. Although it's got differences in implementation uh, and not even really talking about flow but one of the 
bigger promises. And Alan, you mentioned this earlier as one of the biggest advantages that you felt with, with coroutines, which is to actually, you know, describe code as you envision it and as you think about it. Uh, but there was also this promise, that exact promise with with coroutines and that you wouldn't have to worry about so many operators and 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 things that some of the alternatives had, such as RxJava. Do you, especially as early adopters that have seen things change, do you feel that that promise more or less holds true today? <laughs> We're waiting to see who's going to take it. I guess it'll be me. Um, so I think part of the problem is that uh, as you evolve and start to use a particular mechanism, kind of your imagination uh, is able to come up with, you know, with more that you'd like to do using that kind of style. Uh, and then things sort of don't fit as well anymore. Or you start by, by doing things that fit very well into that style and then you move on to other uh sort of things you want to get done that are maybe a little more clunky or hard to express. Like Andrew said, we, we thought structured concurrency and coroutines were going to work fantastically well for us, and they have worked pretty well. But we started doing a lot of clunky things that flows models better. So we're excited about flows because they'll let us express those things in a, in a more straightforward way. Um, I expect that after we've used flows for a while, you know, we'll kind of come, come to the next hurdle where we can't uh, express the things that that we want to express. So I, I don't know if that answers your question, but that's kind of how I see the process moving forward. Yeah, and it makes sense, makes sense. I, I will say, I'll throw one one thing in here that um, you mentioned that, uh, you know, that Roman had this idea uh, for flows and started working on that. One thing I've learned in the Kotlin community is that when, when Roman says something, it's very wise to listen. Uh, <laughs> we've just been super, super impressed with uh, the ideas that he's, uh, 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 you know, published uh, and spoken about. So he's a, a great asset for your team. Oh my God, yes, we, we love him. And, and, and we're still, some of us are trying to figure out how how he does it all right because you know i mean he does he he writes more like my job is is a developer advocate is is to among other things is to create content write blog posts roman is leading the team writing the code writing tutorials writing blog posts he's just he's just making everyone look bad so yeah <laughs> but he's he really is awesome he really is and i mean he's been he's been teaching this uh at st petersburg uh, university for a long time as well right i mean he's this is kind of what he's been talking about most of his life uh, but yeah well, it's is. fantastic you you can tell he's passionate about it and he loves it and it really uh, shines through and and uh uh you know we just enjoy everything that he has to say and write so I will just edit this part out and I will not edit it out. I mean, I'll clip this part and I'll send it to him and I'll say, listen, Roman, every time you're feeling down, just listen to this. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> cool. Anyway, folks, thank you. We're running out of time. I very much appreciate you uh, joining and uh, talking about QLDB. It's really exciting. Once again, thanks for coming on. Great. Thank you're you welcome. for having us. Yeah, thanks a lot.